Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this Sunday morning here at Ivanrest. I bring you greetings from Calvin Seminary, um, where we are just starting to get underway with our spring semester after experiencing for the first time in institution's history a record three snow days in one week during the polar vortex, which was actually pretty cool. Um, I hadn't had a snow day since my freshman year of college um, at Kuiper College, so um, I definitely enjoyed having a little bit of extra time off. And on that note, um, I also wanted to share um, I'm very grateful for the chance to be here with you, especially because uh, Matt Seatsma, your worship director, extended the invitation to me. Uh, Matt and Andrew, who is your youth director, are very good friends of mine from college uh, during my years at Kuiper. So I'm glad to have this chance to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Our text this morning comes from Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, beginning at verse 1, you can find that on page 630 of your pew Bibles. 630. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain and the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder, together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know. For you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them, and in the end they will prove to be fools. A glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. They keep saying to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I have not desired the day of despair. 
What passes my lips is open before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we come and enter into this time of study of your word, we ask, Lord, that your word may be our guide. Your spirit, our only teacher, and the glory of Jesus Christ, our single greatest concern, in whose strong name we pray, amen. Uh, Recently, this past December, the New York Post, a news outlet out of New York City, published a rather interesting article that I found particularly intriguing. Authored by Emily Musmechi, the headline reads like this, man loses bid to change his birth certificate so he can pick up women on Tinder. Now, for those of you who are over 40 who might be wondering, allow me to make a brief word of clarification. Tinder is a popular dating app available on smartphone devices. Uh, Moose Mechi writes, applicant Emil Radelbond recently petitioned a Dutch court to legally change his official date of birth. Radelbond, a motivational speaker and hedonist, wanted his official documentation to match his state of mental and physical fitness in which, get this, he claims to feel 20 years younger than he is. Initially, he was motivated by online dating apps. He shares this in the article. I feel much younger than my age. I can have all the girls I want, but not after I tell them that I am actually 69, Radelbond told French press agency AFP. He says, I feel young, I'm in great shape, and I want this to be legally recognized because I feel abused, aggrieved, and discriminated against because of my age. He added, I am my identity. Alas, though, the court did not see it his way. Its published ruling read in part, amending his date of birth would cause 20 years of records to vanish from the register of births, deaths, marriages, and registered partnerships. This would have a variety of undesirable legal and societal implications. There are other alternatives available for challenging age discrimination rather than amending a person's date of birth. I should think so. Uh, But Radelbond certainly hasn't been the only person guilty of objectifying reality by simply declaring something to be so that isn't indeed true. In our text today from Jeremiah 17, it is altogether evident that Judah seemed to think that they were capable of living the way they wanted to live, in fact, without any repercussions whatsoever. But God is about to prove them wrong on a number of fronts, so much so they won't even know what's about to hit them. You see, at this point of Judah's history, idolatry has become rampant among almost every aspect of their nation. Their close relatives in Israel have already been carried off into exile by Assyria some several years earlier in 722 BC. And due to a severe case of spiritual amnesia, Judah seems to have forgotten exactly who and whose they are. As God himself is intervening now among Judah's disobedience, from this point on, Judah is committed to absolute self-destruction. Truly, though Judah is probably in complete denial about their predicament, 
the punishment they are about to face is absolutely unavoidable. Their sin is indelible and unforgettable, as the prophet Jeremiah writes. You see, God had designated Mount Zion as a location for his temple, and yet Judah has desecrated it, choosing to build altars to Baal and to worship their Asherah poles. Everything about this picture, friends, is inconsistent with God's law. And John Calvin writes this in his com commentary. He says, Their impiety was widely and extensively diffused, so that no part of the land was free from their corrupt superstition. You see, the land no longer offers refuge for Judah. And this is because their idolatry has now extended to all of their borders. There's nothing that's going to offer protection for their earthly possessions. Rather, it's all going to be carried off by the Babylonians. Though some of the people of Judah will remain alive throughout their time of captivity, their predicament is certainly worse than death since they will be scattered among their enemies, the Babylonians. And not only this, Judah is going to be forced to serve their enemies in captivity. This is a land not their own, perhaps an echo back to their 400 years of captivity in Egypt before entering the land of Canaan. And even Jeremiah himself is feeling the brunt of having to be the bearer of such hard news. And here it drives him to ask for God's help, especially in verses 14 and 15 in our passage. In fact, God is his only hope and cure at this point. It is only God who can save and heal him not only from his spiritual maladies, but also from his enemies who are in hot pursuit against him. Judah has been used to a normal function of life up until this point in time, a triangle, if you will, of land, work, and wealth. But now, God is completely deconstructing this triangle, and Judah's unavoidable punishment is on the way. In this, God is beginning to remove his gift of land within the covenant. In fact, the people's wealth is about to completely evaporate because God's judgment is coming from the Babylonians. No longer would Judah enjoy the fruits of their land. Instead, they will be forced to adjust to life in a different country, becoming accustomed to the loss of their economic and their political independence. But friends, just like Judah, each of us also has the tendency to wander from God, looking to the things of this world to satisfy us. But at the same time, Jeremiah also helps us to develop a fuller understanding of the theology of the corporate nature of our human sin and its painful results on all of creation. There are so many parallels that can be made with the sinful predicament of Judah with the ways that sin continues to stain our human lives today. Like Judah, each of us is prone to fall into the traps of idolatry instead of clinging to Christ and the salvation that only he is able to provide. We fully deserve similar punishment as Judah. And friends, sin is a serious issue. And as Reformed Christians, this is something that we all know to be true. My guess is that many of you are perhaps keenly aware of the events that have taken place over the past couple of weeks in the state of New York. 
Um, although it is not my common practice to preach about politics, as I prepared this message, the Holy Spirit continually laid this on my heart to share. Uh, for those of you who might not have heard, a few weeks ago, the New York State Legislature passed a bill on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which gives people the right to abort a child in the womb as late as the third trimester of pregnancy, even up until the moment of birth. Like many of you, I was absolutely horrified upon learning about this development, which was fully celebrated by many of New York's elected government officials as the governor signed the bill into law. My heart aches for the millions of families that have been torn apart by the evils of abortion, for the millions of lives lost, and for the guilt and shame that many people have faced after experiencing an abortion themselves. But here's what I want us to think about this morning. What kind of message does abortion send to those outside of the Christian church, but also to those inside the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church around the world? Judah was tasked with being God's representative to the world. They were his chosen people, and yet they failed miserably at responding to what God expected of them. A few days ago, I came across an article on a Christian satire news website known as the Babylon Bee. Have any of you heard of this site or at least seen it before on social media? Maybe by a show of hands? Yeah? Fantastic. If you haven't seen the site before, I highly encourage you to check it out. It's babylonbee.com. -E -E uh, the Bee posts articles each week that tend to poke fun of certain traditions in the Christian faith. Uh, but lately, some of their articles have caused me to bite my tongue just a little bit. You'll see why. Because almost a two weeks ago, this headline appeared on their site. Sodom and Gomorrah wondering why America hasn't been obliterated yet. Now bear in mind, the theology in some of these articles isn't always 100% accurate, as you will see in what I'm about to share, but I couldn't help but make this parallel with our text in Jeremiah. The article reads, Former residents of Sodom and Gomorrah speaking to reporters in the afterlife recently questioned why the United States hasn't been wiped off the map by Almighty God yet. Those who once resided in the notoriously sinful cities are beginning to complain that America is still in existence, despite its senseless slaughter of the unborn and unquestioning acceptance of activities that were considered unthinkably perverse just a decade or two ago. Yeah, we were pretty messed up. But have you seen some of the stuff that goes on in America nowadays? One man said, shaking his head, which was on fire. People are literally killing hundreds of thousands of babies a year. They bomb foreign countries 24-7. We did bad stuff, sure, I'm not denying that. But come on, even I can see the nation needs a health, health, hearty helping of fire and brimstone. I mean, God can do what he wants. But if I were in the U.S. right now, I'd be heading for the hills, he added, shrugging. And I wouldn't be salty about it either. Wouldn't even look back. Once again, like Judah, we too are faced with the reality of our human sin each and every day. God could have chosen to leave us fully in the consequences of this idolatry and sinfulness. And yet through Christ, he provides a better way. As John Calvin points out in his commentary on Jeremiah, God would have had every right to condemn Judah in the false confidence of their idolatry. 
And yet, not every person in Judah has fully turned away from God, as we find in the later verses of this passage. As Jeremiah writes, the person that remains steadfast with God, placing their confidence in him, will be like a tree planted by the waters, which sends its roots by the stream. He writes that its leaves are always green, and it never has to worry about a year of drought because it is always bearing fruit. As Calvin identifies, here Jeremiah points out the difference between those who truly serve God and trust in him and those who are prone to following their own false imaginations so that they seek shelter and security either from themselves or from others instead of from God. In fact, for those who are unbelieving, they're like tamarisk trees, a tree commonly found in the desert. This tree often flourishes for a time, but it doesn't bear fruit because it can be easily dried up by the heat. Calvin writes this, These tamarisks have the appearance of life, but there is no moisture in a dry soil, so their roots quickly dry up. But the servants of God, though, they are planted, as it were, in moist soil, irrigated continually by streams of water. As Jeremiah imitates that though God's children feel great heats, as well as the unbelieving, for this is common to both, they shall yet be kept safe. For though the sun dries up by its great heat, there is yet a remedy, for the root has moisture derived from the irrigation of water. Friends, only God is capable of healing Judah's brokenness. And the way that he can do this is if we allow ourselves, like the people of Judah, to be transplanted into good soil by the stream. When we look at the Hebrew in this passage, the verb here can actually be translated as transplanted. And this is profound because God not only desires this for Judah, but also for each and every one of us that we might be transplanted into the streams of the life-giving water of his word. God knows the truth about our hearts, and he will judge each of us justly according to what we have done. He is the only one who can see us as we truly are, and he invites us to call on his name, asking him, just as Jeremiah, to grant us healing. I don't know about you, but have there ever been times when you have felt like a stunted shrub? I know that there have been many times when I have, more than I'd prefer to admit. I can remember times where I've felt especially dry spiritually, sometimes even facing shame and guilt associated with not growing in Christ as I know that I should. Sometimes being with more mature, more fruitful Christians has highlighted my slump in my spiritual growth. I sometimes look at all that God is doing in their lives and I wonder why I can't possibly achieve the same level of closeness with God in my faith. The good news about this, though, is that God himself provides a solution. Jeremiah 17 suggests that our problem is rooted in the fact that we often rely too much on ourselves and not enough on God. When we live for our personal benefit, for our personal goals and our personal glory, we rely on our own judgments rather than on God's revelation in his word, and thereby we stop growing as Christians. Like a tree that fails to plant itself with its roots by the water, 
our leaves can wither and die. But when we trust more confidently in Christ, when we give ourselves to him fully and completely, when we seek him in his ways above all else, then our roots will reach deeply into the water as we allow God to transplant us. Then our growth can become strong and steady as we see the fruit of God's spirit growing in our lives. And friends, the good news in all of this is that Jesus through his blood shed on the cross, has already paved the way for us. He desires for us to draw closer to him. And as our mediator, he pleads our cause before the Father. So as we close this time together in the word, I have just a couple of questions for us to ponder this morning. First of all, are there times when we have perhaps felt like a stunted shrub in our growth with Christ? What might we have been doing or not doing that contributed to this stuntedness? Secondly, are we satisfied with being unfruitful? Or do we, like well-watered trees, have strength for times of crisis and even some strength to share with others as we bear fruit for the Lord? And lastly, what might it mean for us to trust God more deeply and consistently in our own lives today? Would you pray with me, please? This morning, I'd like to pray using the beautiful words of John Calvin in his commentary on Jeremiah. Grant, Almighty God, that as we are wholly nothing and even less than nothing, we may know our nothingness and having cast away all confidence in the world as well as in ourselves, may we learn to flee to you as our suppliant and so put our trust in you for our present life and for our eternal salvation that you alone may be glorified. And may we be devoted to you through the whole course of our lives and so persevere in humility and in calling on your name that you may not only bring us help, but that we may know that you are always present with those who truly and from the heart call upon you until we, shall, until we shall at length be filled with the fullness of all of those blessings which are laid up in heaven for us by Christ our Lord, in whose strong name we pray, amen.